All right, we are live. Happy Friday, everyone. Today is April 14th, and this is episode 27 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volt, founder of Volt Firm and Nimble This. With us is a man who's world famous for carrying two 10Ks up an Ecuadorian mountainside. This is John Downey, CMTS technical leader of Cisco Systems. Welcome, John, and thanks for coming back. John. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to be back. You know, absolutely. So today we are going to uh, focus on part two of our um, Doxa CMTS suggestions, best practices, and recommendations. We also have some Q and A from our readers. We hope to get to at by the end. Um, so we have some slides and stuff to cover. Um, John, anything you want to cover before that? I know where where are you uh, broadcasting out of today? Your your home is normal. So I'm, um, yep, yep, that's normal. I'm still in RTP, Research Triangle Park, um, yeah. Raleigh, Durham area, for those people that don't know Research Triangle Park. Um, headed out to Charlotte later today. Got a uh, bodybuilding show to do. I, uh, I was just thinking about this. If we go back in these Google Hangouts month over month, I dropped close to 35 pounds. So you look a little thin in the was, face there. <laughs> you can find how fat my face was you know, back in June. Over this nine-month period, you can see the transition. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I'm, uh, I'm broadcasting out of Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, some of our readers or listeners uh, ask about that. Uh, uh, and also, we also have comments, you know, about, like, what's going on in your background, what kind of workout equipment you have in the background there. So... <laughs> <laughs> we always get interesting <laughs> comments about that. It's funny as I have a treadmill back there, and uh, I had a teeter-totter, one of those inversion tables. I moved that out of the way. But yeah, I noticed that was missing this time. So, well. uh, <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> but I was going to comment on that. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, it's missing. Now it's gone. All the, all the blood was going through my head, and I was getting really goofy. <laughs> How could anyone tell? <laughs> <laughs> I was just passing out. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I actually had a question for you, uh, Anga. I think you're going to Anga, right? Yeah. So at Anga, I am um, moderating two panels, sort of moderating and speaking on one panel and moderating another panel, Doxus 3.1, and then the second one's a PNM panel. Um, are you going to be at Anga this year? Uh, no, I uh, bypassed this year. Ron Rannick's going to be there. So Ron Rannick will be you know, our face from Cisco. John Knox will be there as usual because he's located in, in Europe. Uh, we're going to have some remote Fi stuff there, so that'll be kind of the new stuff, you know, promoting remote Fi and you know the distributed access architecture. That's cool. The big news. And you did get uh, for your expo presentation. You got your paper accepted, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you and I, you know, I talked to you about co-promoting and co-presenting. Uh, SCT accepted it, but they only accept one speaker. And because I submitted the abstract, they said I would be doing it. But I said I would have you in the audience as a heckler slash side <laughs> presenter. They're, they're okay with that. <laughs> so we'll move ahead with really making what we're doing, the last Hangout and this Hangout, more formalized. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Expo, it has to be generic. Mm -hmm. uh, here on the Hangout, sometimes I'll talk about Cisco features and stuff like that. But, you know, we'll keep it generic enough but uh, most of the features I talk about are generic. It's 
I try to be technology agnostic and then about features in general that mostly everyone has, either Air or, some, or ourselves. Um, but when we go into the future stuff, then we start talking about Remote Phi, um, you know, Remote Mac Phi, if someone else is promoting Mac Phi, virtual CMCS. Yes. But really, I wanted to focus on Expo of what's deployed today, what's the best practices, how to optimize. I, I almost feel like I am, uh, I, I, I find problems that I won't know how to fix the problem, but I need a workaround today that I can work with and give to my customer. So a development engineer will dig deeper and find what their real source of the problem is and maybe come out with a feature. But hell, that could be six months before it gets fully vetted out. We all know how that goes. So to me, I feel like I'm a, you know, the go-between liaison between the engineers at Cisco and their customers out in the field trying to get things to work properly, uh, understand how they're supposed to work, and then how to optimize them. And that's basically what I've been focusing on, I feel like, the last 16 years. Yeah, they're probably saying that you just break things and they have to fix the things that you break. <laughs> it's called job security. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that perspective. Self-promoting self prophecies. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move into uh, some of the content that we have uh, for part two of our CMTS optimization here. John? Right, you let me know that we stopped off, I think, um, with Doxus, I'm not, I'm not sure if Doxus 3.1 was our last slide, but you know, after you and I talked earlier, we decided, you know, let's pick up on the modulation profile slides. Mm -hmm. um, the mod profiles can get uh, complicated. Um, we don't really expect the end customers to really manipulate them much um, because most people don't even know what all the little buttons and tweaks and knobs do. Um, those mod profiles are specific to the, the upstream chipset the demodulation chip for the upstream signal. And normally that's Broadcom or TEI, Intel. Um, most systems now are Broadcom, you know, upstream chipset. So we have some recommendations from Broadcom directly. We have best practices that we found after implementing pre-equalization, after turning on more upstream channels, after looking at ping boxes, flap list, uh, upstream bonding partial mode, um, station maintenance burst there's a lot of little things that could influence what i decide to select from my mod profile and it might be not the default settings normally your default settings are the safest settings and that's why they're defaults you know for that matter upstream channel width default is 1.6 but no one's doing 1.6 megahertz channel width anymore yeah what do you mean by I mean, why are they safe what, what does safe mean <laughs> Safe is, means you have good FEC coverage, forward error correction coverage. Uh, it's not turning on, say, upstream dynamic interleaving because we don't know if every single modem firmware and vendor was ever vetted for upstream dynamic, dynamic interleaving, um, interleaving the upstream packets. That right there could drop all the packets because the modem was never vetted for it, was never really tested for it. You know, we say everything is interoperable. Well, it's usually interoperable based on default settings. You start throwing in these little tweaks, and then all of a sudden something breaks. 80% of the modems work, but 20% don't. Well, that's not going to be – you can't do that, right? 100% has to work. <laughs> so you start with default settings, keep it simple, stupid, the KISS principle, and then you move into optimization. And then you, you optimize, but you test it with those optimizations to make sure not even 1% of the modems have issues with it. 
So, so what is, I mean, you're talking about upstream dynamic interleaving. What is that? What is that? Why do we care about it? Why okay, would we can enable you it? The slide? Yeah, yeah. Are you sharing the slides yet or not? No, not yet. I can share slides up. I can share them. I just, I don't like you know, to I was, share. I was, giving you, <laughs> <laughs> I was giving you all that filler to give you time to put the slides up, and then you just like bypassed me. No, I'm, I'm pretty quick. The slides are up. People can see the slides now if they're watching the video, but if they're listening to the podcast, then they, they can't see anything. So, you know, we just we have to verbalize this as well. But the slides are up for those who are watching. So if you're just listening to this, I just put a slide up that has it's kind of an eye chart. It says modulation profiles and it has several modulation profiles, one that's an all QPSK modulation profile, one that's an all 16 QAM modulation profile, and one that's a mix that has 16 QAM and 64 QAM modulation in it. Now, John's going to take us through this and tell us what all this all this mess means of, in these different modulation profiles. So, John, you're on, man. So, so the reason why I threw three of them up here, this would be my way of keeping it simple, stupid, the KISS principle where I want to get the fastest speed possible, so I would recommend my profile 224, in this case, 224, uh, where it's uh, 16 qualm for the maintenance of the modem, meaning modems coming online, modems doing station maintenance, uh, background traffic uh, for control of the, of the modem. Um, but the data itself, the short grant, the long grant, the UGS for voice, they're all at 64 qualm. So your lion's share of data traffic is going to be using 64 qualm, so that's the biggest modulation, more complex, Hence, it's like less robust because it's more complex, but you're gonna get more speed out of it. Now, the other stuff doing 16 qualm, some customers are using QPSK because that was the default, kind of like the safest. QPSK is very robust. It can work down to about a 12 dB MER without breaking, which is pretty darn robust. 16 qualm will break about 18 dB. Uh, so it's about five to 60 difference in robustness between QPSK and 16 qualm. The reason why I recommend 16 qualm is if you were to use QPSK, you're masking the field problems, the plant problems. You're not generating any flaps in the flap list because the flap list is based on the station maintenance burst. If the station maintenance burst is QPSK, it's so robust, you're not getting any flaps. So you're not getting indicators that your plan is bad. If you do ping versus ping doxis, ping doxis uses the station maintenance burst. But ping is going to use a shorter or longer end. So the difference in modulation right there could give you different results and kind of scratch your head why one is and one isn't. Meaning if I do ping and it doesn't work, you automatically assume layer three is hung. But in fact, it could be doing ping at 64 qualm, it might be just a subpar MER reading. So the QPSK for the ping doxis works fine, but the ping for the long grant doesn't work fine because it's 64 qualm. So there's there's some ambiguity there. And you just uh, the other one is MER. the maintenance burst can so, so like upstream mm -hmm. MER, upstream SNR, how is that interpreted by Same the thing. CMTS? Is it using the QPSK or 16 QAM, or is it using the data that the subscriber is transmitting, which in, in this last modulation profile is at 64 QAM? So all, and that, that brings up, that's a good segue into the upstream partial mode. We look at the station maintenance first for the MER readings to then determine if we go to upstream bonding partial mode or we change modulation for the whole upstream. The reason why I showed three modulation schemes is because I recommend that you do this, what I call self-healing, 
where if the MER drops for the upstream and I get a certain, maybe over 1% uncorrectable effect for that upstream port, that upstream channel, I will change dynamically from 64 qualm to the 16 qualm profile. And if it gets really bad, below say 19 dB and greater than 1% uncorrectable effect, I'll drop the QPSK. Now you might say, oh damn, if I drop the QPSK, I'm not gonna have as much throughput. I'm like, yeah, but I would argue a pipe that's smaller and works is better than a pipe that's big and doesn't work at all. So you can see where my reasoning is, is I want the pipe to be working, but I don't want it to fail unless it really needs to. So I set expectations, I set thresholds that make sense. Right, we would had, we'd rather now, have I subscriber data going question. through in the upstream rather than no subscriber, and a smaller pipe rather than no and subscriber I, data getting through. Correct, correct. So to, to answer your question, the station maintenance is used to determine the MER. It's used, which is then turn, in turn used for the dynamic modulation and upstream bonding partial mode. When they take a modem from four-channel bonding to maybe three-channel bonding, because that modem has problems with upstream one or upstream two. So we can look at a per modem instance here instead of an upstream instance, because some modems might have bad equalization on an upstream. Some modems might have a power level issue on a certain frequency. But it's not for everybody, right? It's only for an individual modem. So on an individual modem basis, we could say that modem needs to go to slash P, which is partial mode, instead of UB, which is upstream bonding. And that's all based on that station maintenance first. So you could see where if the station maintenance is QPSK, you might never go in upstream bonding partial mode, but you could be dropping all your packets, 100% uncorrectable effect. Because the station maintenance is so robust, it's not going into partial mode quick enough or properly. And this right. is why I say, you know, if you're going to do 64 quant for the data, I would want the maintenance of the modem to be just as high. So you would think, well, why don't we do 64 quant for station maintenance? Well, here's the rub. Broadcom came back and said, for the station maintenance, it's such a quick burst. If you make it too fast in time, we can't really capture a good stable reading. So the highest modulation they recommend is 16 qualm for those first three bursts in the mod profile. So I tell people, if you go 16 qualm or higher for your data, go 16 qualm for the maintenance. So, sense? yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, the, the request, why, why make the request 16 qualm? That's a very, you know, the request is when the cable modem says, hey, I have data to transmit, and this is how much data. It's it's a very short message to the CMTS. So, and then we're not making any measurements like SNR with the request. Why not just Correct. let the request at QPSK so those request messages are getting through? Request for bandwidth. So here, here's my philosophy. Um, <laughs> the request is a contention request, so it could have collisions. If it has a collision, I don't care if it's QPSK, 16, 64, it doesn't really matter. It could be BPSK. If it has a collision, it has a collision, it's going to drop, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a collision with another request. They're both at the same power level. Basically, they're going to drop and resend. That's why you have this range back off and data, well, data back off, where a, co a contention request that does have a collision will back off and try again in a random type of fashion so it doesn't have a subsequent collision. Now, once data starts transmitting from a modem, most of the requests afterwards will get piggybacked. So they get piggybacked with actual data grants. So therefore, they're not contention requests anymore. So that's a good thing. Now, this request burst, you could make the case and say, well, why don't we go QPSK? My biggest pitfall to that is service flow called NRTPS for call signaling 
every EMTA that registers on the upstream will have this service flow that eats up nailed up mini slots for non-contentional requests for EMTA to go off hook and start dialing and sending the numbers for call signal. It's set up and it uses UGS grants for a dynamic flow. But that NRTBS flow is nailed up. If you go to QPSK, it could take two mini slots, maybe three, for every one of those EMTAs every 100 milliseconds. So that's 10 per second. The moral of the story is at QPSK, you take more time on the wire and then you take more time in the scheduler, which means you end up with less calls possible per upstream channel. Wouldn't it also really deep into that one, but I yeah, really don't want to. In QPSK, wouldn't because you're taking more time on the on the wire, wouldn't that also increase your probability of having a contention then? No, because remember I said it was is nailed up and scheduled okay. unicast. It's not okay. contention at that point anymore. It's a schedule flow specific for that EMTA. Whether or not that EMTA is off book or not, it's in the scheduler. Right. That's something you're eating up mini slots for for nothing. For the you're giving yourself insurance that if the upstream is highly utilized and I go off hook, my call signal will go through. Right. What I'm seeing now is some some systems and customers are not doing NRTPS. They're just doing a a best effort service flow with a higher priority and a, say a minimum guarantee of say eight kilobits per second, mm -hmm. something really small. Okay. So back to my original question. They're not, nail they're not nailing any up. What is that? What is that dynamic interleaving you were talking about? Oh, so it, I know you can't see it on the podcast, but in mod profile two twenty four under the A long burst, the next to last column uh, instead of a one, I have a zero. Now this sounds counterintuitive, but that zero turns on something called Reed Solomon dynamic upstream interleaving. One means it's off. Zero means turn it on. Now, there's other settings, like the very last column, the 2048, is I think 2048 bytes or bits or symbols or whatever it is for the Reed Solomon interleaving. I, I don't mess with it. From this point, I either turn it on or turn it off with a zero or a one in that second to last column. What it did for me uh, personally was uh, a couple of customers' systems I've been in, when you start using frequencies below 20 megahertz where you have a, you know, the probability of a lot of impulse noise, you know, electrical noise, impulse noise, by interleaving the upstream packets, I was able to convert a lot of uncorrectable fact into correctable fact. What that did is it allowed the modem to interleave the upstream packets so that if a impulse noise knocked out those packets, when they get de-interleaved at the CMTS, they look like they're spread out in time. When they're spread out in time, the forward error correction can properly fix them. So the forward error correction becomes more effective. Uh, by doing that, I was able to still run, you know, 6.4 megahertz channel width, potentially even 64 qualm, all the way down at say 15 megahertz. And by doing the upstream interleaving, it helped my end result, my throughput. So is this interleaving that you're talking about similar to interleaving that we have in the downstream that we use for both video and also DOCSIS interleaving? Correct, correct. But no one's ever really used it on the upstream. And now I'm saying it's one more tool in the, in the tool belt that you could utilize if you want to start using frequencies below 20 megahertz. Now, with that said, I tell people be careful and test it because I've had some modems that didn't like upstream interleaving, where I turned it on and those modems either dropped more packets or they didn't work at all because they had old firmware. Okay, so use with caution. 
But I see you don't have that turned on on the like 16 qualm modulation profiles or and definitely not the QPSK. Is there a reason for that? Um, you know, I, I it's kind of like I was trying to play it safe. I figured once you drop from the highest speed down to a lower modulation, it's because the MVR was bad to begin with. So we would just keep it straight up. But yeah, I could uh, I could put uh, I would probably you know the case could be made to put dynamic interleaving everywhere. Not even frequencies below. Why? It doesn't add overhead. It just adds some processing delay, right? You're just interleaving the packets. You're not adding bytes. So why not put it even on uh, frequencies that are 24 and 30 megahertz? And I would say, yeah, true. Uh, but I would say vet it out first. You know, just make sure you don't have any modems that don't like it. Okay. Cool. So, next slide. Yep. <laughs> How many slides are we going to get through? <laughs> One per hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so map advance is a tricky beast. Um, I'm just going to point out a couple little things um, that you that customers can look at, and that's when I'm in a lab or even in a fiber node that's very short fiber disk, so your link loss is very minimum. Uh, and maybe it's a fiber node that's right outside the head end or hub, so it's not even 10 clicks. You know, it's one one kilometer. Um, sometimes you can get pretty aggressive with the map advance. And what I found out is when I do upstream bonding and I have upstream voice packets, if my map advance, after all the calculations are done, if my map advance is less than about 2,500, I start seeing issues, meaning upstream bonded modems go to partial mode, upstream bonded modems have more misses in a flap list, and if you actually pull the modem, you'll see more T3 timeouts. Uh, I see uh, or hear unclicking uh, in voice calls. So sometimes you have upstream issues, and it's not MER, SNR, or plant problems. It's actually timing issues. So it might not even be just upstream. It's also downstream because the timing is between the upstream and the downstream. The upstream makes a, a request. The downstream map says, here's your time to send. If that round trip delay is too much for the mode in the handle or it's not properly timed, then you have things out of time. Um, you start losing station maintenance bursts, modem goes offline, T3 timeouts, T4 timeout, modem reboots. So these are some of the things I look for. And I tell people that I like to optimize my map advance to get as low as possible so my upstream speed for, for individual modem is good because that request grant time, the less it is, the better it is. But if I get too aggressive, I'm having problems where station maintenance might start dropping. So I tell people, you know, you can manipulate your map advance, and there might be settings in the map advance to make it smaller and make it quicker. But if I get too aggressive, that can cause problems. So if we don't have the map right. advance set correctly, would this cause T3 timeouts? Very well could, yes. Yeah, so that's that's a really and unique then T3 issue. timeouts for a CMTS. Yeah, if T3 timeouts from a CMTS perspective, you can look at the misses in the flat list. It, I usually say if there's three to five, say five times more misses than hits, then that's the problem. And then it'll usually show up as flat, the flat counter will start actually uh, showing flaps. Uh, you might not have any power flaps, might not have any insertions, but your miss to hit ratio might be extremely high, which is not a good sign. And where do you configure map advance in a, in a CMTS tick? Typically, is this a global command or an interface command? 
it, it's usually under the cable interface, so your Mac domain, your cable interface. Okay. So, so you know, I, from from this point of view of Google Hangout, we just want to bring light to certain things, and then we could like add things more in depth later, right? Yep. So. So upstream. on to you know upstream bonding. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say we're on to upstream bonding issues. Is uh, the next slide that we want to focus on? Okay. Um, I feel like this one is finally coming into its own, meaning a lot more people are doing upstream bonding, and for the sheer fact that we need more speed. Now, if we're gonna offer higher downstream speeds, then we need to keep up with our upstream speeds. And a lot of times, that might be just to support the acknowledgments to support the downstream TCP flows. With that said, we still have to offer higher upstream speeds for real traffic telepresence, gaming, uh, home security cameras. I think that's going to be a killer app, uh, making the home security cameras not 15 frames per second, but maybe 30, 30 frames per second, high def, you name it. Um, could be Periscope, Slingbox, whatever. Something will come up where upstream becomes more of an issue. Part of the upstream speed issue is also just marketing, You know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, You know, trying to keep up with uh, uh, GFAST, uh, ATT Uber stuff, Google Fiber, uh, Verizon Fiber, whatever. Uh, we're not in the game of usually offering symmetrical speeds, but we usually are in the game of offering 10 to 1 ratio. So 100 meg down, 10 meg up. We could easily get away with a 100 meg down, 50 meg up, no problem. Uh, even uh, some of our customers are going to offer 1 gig down by maybe 50 meg up. You know, when we start offering too much upstream speed, our limited upstream spectrum becomes our, our Achilles heel. You know, we, we can't get past this 42 megahertz and that becomes a problem. We can't, we may only have spectrum for four upstream channels. You bond all those together, 64 qualms, 6.4 megahertz channel width, you can get 108 megabits per second. Well, our rule of thumb has always been, if I have a 100 megabit pipe, you shouldn't offer more than a 50 megabit per second service because trying to offer one customer the whole pipe starves everybody else out and your oversubscription goes through the roof meaning your probability of collisions and contention and starving each other becomes a problem. So uh, you should, you know, the pipe should be twice as big as your highest offering, put it that way. So we go to upstream bonding, and then, then we say, well, what's the best way to bond? Should I do two channels, three channels, four channels? If you go to two channels, the spec, 54 qualm, two channel upstream bonding, the max transmitter of a modem is 54 dBmV. If you go to three channels of upstream bonding, regardless of the channel width, now that drops to 51 dBmV. Because it assumes once you go to three, you might as well go to four, you just doubled it. So knowing that your attenuation from the house to the CMTS hasn't changed, and you have modems already maxed out in power, if you go to upstream bonding, you're gonna have even more power level issues if you go to four channel bonding. So if you go from DOCSIS 2.0, single channel, to DOCSIS 3.0, dual channel, that actually is the same max transmit of 54 dBmV. So you'll be safe. Now, another way to give yourself a little bit more headroom, I call it Band-Aid, is put in this power adjust continue six and this upstream max channel power offset six. These two commands will help when the 3.0 modem registers, the window, so even if it's maxed out, will allow within 6 dB of that max and to still register properly and also still do station maintenance. So I recommend these two these two commands, and this will be under the cable interface as well. Well, what do you recommend though? Yeah, if, if you see a modem that's running at you know say minus six dB 
uh, MV and at the at the CMTS. Does some I mean someone should would you recommend that an operator address that modem then? Because you're you're letting that modem come online at a very low receive level at the CMTS, right? Of course, of course. What you're doing is you're creating a band aid to let the modem stay online, with the assumption that its MER is still good enough. Well, how do you know it is good enough? So you could say, I'm gonna give myself a 6 dB Band-Aid, 6 dB window, modem's pumping out 54, or maybe I'm with a three channel option bond, it's pumping out 51 dBmB, it's maxed out, it's hitting the CMTS at minus 5.5, so it's within the zero to six. It'll get an exclamation point when you do show cable modem command and you look at the receive level, it'll have an exclamation point at minus 5.5. All those modems should be tracked, monitored, documented, and they should be on your list of houses to go visit. Um, I Really, like we said, it's a Band-Aid. The Band-Aid is a temporary fix. It's not there to stay there forever. Sure. Makes so sense. Yes, they definitely don't have a lower MER than everybody else. Okay. Now, the, the other one that came up, and you and I talked about this, I think it was one of the questions that came to your uh, desk last month. Was, yeah, I was, was going to recommend know, that we if, cover that. This is this is the one with the different bandwidth upstreams. Is that yeah, the one? Yeah, yeah. So, so this comes so, this comes in yeah, from. Yeah, uh, uh, I think I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the name right. Our Irfan, he says, "Hi guys, uh, just feel free to answer this question to me as detailed as possible within your valued time. I'm working on deploying 6.4 megahertz ATDMA project. We only have 15 to 30 megahertz spectrum in the region." So with this limitation, we decided to do two 3.2 megahertz ATDMA channels and one 6.4 megahertz ATDMA channel. So they're doing three bonded channels um, in the upstream. My question is, how the load balancing will work on the upstream channels having different widths and bound and in this upstream bonding group? I'm under the impression that they would just load balance equally across all upstream, all three upstream channels. Hence, uh, D3O will not do proper load balancing. Am I right? If not, then how and what should I do to best optimize my MAC domains and have different width upstream bonded channels? Thanks, guys. So, you know, he has two 3.2 megahertz and one 6.4 megahertz in the upstream. He's wondering, is everything going to work correctly? All right, so here's my take real fast. Uh, why is he doing three channels? Why does he have to do two 3.2s and a 6.4? Three channels will cost him more money because you pay a license for the three channels. So I look at the business side too. If he's doing 3.2 megahertz to support all 1.1 modems, that's a different story, right? Um, to me, bonding two bigger channels is better than bonding three mixed channels. The reason why is, like I said, three channels, more money. Three upstream channels, the max transmit is 51 dBmV. Two channels would be 54 dBmV. You just gain 3 dB transmit from the modems by sticking to two channels versus three. So I'm not sure why he has to do three channels. Uh, maybe his two 3.2s, he's trying to straddle some noise. Like maybe he's trying to straddle 27 megahertz with the CB. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, I would say I wouldn't be that worried about it because ingress cancellation will usually take care of it. I still like, you know, the announcement prevention with the pound of cure and try to straddle it and move around, move around it. But I really feel like if it was that tight, you probably could put it right there and ingress cancellation would take care of it, stick to the two 6.4s. 
with that said oh, i lost my mic <laughs> with that said if he really does need to do a six four and two three one twos knowing how our cmts schedules mini slots from first upstream to second to third and we start round robin through the upstreams i've noticed the first upstream gets a lot more utilization than a second and third because of how we start allocating uh the mini slots we don't just evenly distribute them you know, we let Doxus low balancing for 2.0 modems distribute. We let the 3.0 kind of spread out, but a lot of 3.0 traffic might favor the first one. That, knowing that, I would never make upstream zero or whatever the first upstream is in your upstream bonding group, I'd never make that upstream a smaller channel. Always make it the biggest channel. So upstream zero could be, say, 30 megahertz. I don't care what frequency it is, but upstream zero, I would make 6.4 megahertz. Upstream one, I don't care what frequency it is, I would make 3.2 megahertz. And upstream two, I would make 3.2 megahertz. That way I know that even if the scheduler schedules more under upstream zero, it's a bigger channel. Now, will With the scheduler- that, will, We will move the, back to the slides. Okay. Will, will the scheduler always use upstream right. zero first to, uh, uh, to, I, you, to utilize use, that? It will use the first upstream and the upstream bonding group. So what if you say upstream bonding group is upstream one, two, three? Well, now upstream one is the first upstream in that bonding group. You understand? Yep. Normally people put upstream zero in there. So I've had customers that do upstream zero as what I call a, a legacy quarantine channel, maybe for set-top boxes. And then maybe upstream one, two, three, four is the bonding group. So they're doing five upstreams. Where upstream zero is a legacy, you know, for set-top boxes. And then upstream one, two, three, four. Now here in this case, upstream one would be the one that's fully utilized the most. So what we did is we came out with a command uh, called uh, cable upstream balance scheduling. And that is not on by default. So I tell people, if you do see this functionality happening or this result, turn on this command and then we'll take 3.0 traffic and evenly distribute it across all the upstreams in that bonding group. That way, if a modem says, hey, I need 100 mini slots and I'm doing four channel option bonding, it'll say, all right, I'm going to put 25, 25, 25, 25. Instead of putting 50, 30, 20, 10 mini slots, it'll do evenly distributed. Yeah, that's a pretty so cool command. I command to do that. And, and that's why we wanted to bring it up here because it's not on by default and you don't see too much written about it or talking about it. So would this solve... Um... Irem's question that he had about uh, load balance evenly, even though he has two 3.2 and one 6.4, would would this also balance his two O modems evenly across and, and the traffic yeah. evenly across? Correct. Yeah, so that's it. That's, we would that's also it. look at the weight of the upstream. So, so for the four upstream, or say the three upstream bonding, if this one upstream is two times bigger, he might get 50 mini slots and he might get 25 and 25. That's even distribution based on the weight of the channel. Right, exactly. Uh, so that's using a great command. command. Using, this com using this command, yes. Problem, solution. Right. I like that. Excellent. <laughs> the, the last bullet point, um, it talks about how to get better per modem upstream speed. I found, you know, customers go into labs, they try to find what is my upstream speed. And they're like, well, we're doing four-channel upstream bonding. John said it's 108 megabits per second. Yeah, I said aggregate. I didn't say per modem. When you look at per modem upstream speed, you have this request grant cycle, how much can be concatenated, what's my max burst, how many mini slots, what's the mod profile, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're finding that to get better speeds, we have to turn on another command, and that's this uh, SID cluster two. 
This allows the modem to use two SIDs to make bandwidth requests instead of just one. So when the modem is making a request for bandwidth, he's using a service identifier on the upstream, but he's, if he's only using one, this request grant cycle is kind of slow. But if the modem can use two SIDs, it's like having two modems in one, if you will. Now, what, what if you did four? You like gave it four SIDs, would that, would that make it uh, even I, faster? I, I, I've tried it, but I've noticed that a lot of Broadcom modems don't seem to support more than two. Okay. So I don't know if it's one of those things that never got pushed because it was never really needed. So, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> there wasn't enough squeaking going on. No one cared because uh, most people aren't trying to get line rates from a single modem. You yeah. know what I mean? Like line, line rate means the full pipe. Yeah. Well, so in, in the lab, you are. Do the two SID definitely. cluster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But we've been able to get close to line rate just by some of the tweaks we recommend here. Yeah. No, that's a good command, too. I, I mean, I. I take four Tylenol when my back hurts, but uh, you know, two is good, four is better. But unfortunately, like you said, the, the chipset won't support it. We're stuck hey, with two. Be careful with Tylenol. Tylenol <laughs> goes to your kidneys, and that's why your back could be hurting even more because your kidneys are hurting. <laughs> go to a leave because that goes to your liver. Next, we're going to be doctors and WebMD here. <laughs> <laughs> Nutrition 101. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, the pitfall to this, and I've told people, and I've actually run into uh, in a very extreme case, customer had set-top boxes. They had uh, cable modem uh, gateways that had multiple service flows, uh, mo multiple devices behind the gateway that needed service flows, service flows for call signaling, and then upstream bonding with the SIG cluster 2. At some point, every house could be using eight SIDs. So the question comes up is, how many SIDs can I support in a Mac domain? And in the Cisco CMTS, we're limited to 8,175 total SIDs in the cable Mac domain. So if you had 1,000 homes in a cable interface and they're all taking eight SIDs, you're starting to encroach on that 8,000 limit. And by doing the SID cluster two, Every three of them modem looks really like two modems. You understand? Yeah, yeah. Using two SIDs. So just it's one of those things to think about. Yeah, it's a caveat you got to keep in mind. How many modems you have? So I see yeah. at the bottom there. You have uh, something on the max burst or max concatenated field. Yeah, this was another one of the tweaks to get better per modem upstream speed. And I, I tell people for a three O modem, you know, there's. From physical capability, you have 101120, and now you have 31, physical capability. But from provisioning, quas provisioning, you really only have 101. So all the 20301 modems get a 11 config file. There's really no such thing as a 20 config file. There might be some TLDs in there and stuff like that are different, but it, it, for all intent and purposes, it's considered a 11 config file. So the 11 config file you know, gives us dynamic quality service and all that stuff. Uh, in that upstream field, there's a max concat field and an upstream max traffic burst field. Now, when a 3.0 modem is upstream bonding, it's called CCF, continuous concatenation fragmentation. It doesn't even use that max concat field. But I tell people, set it to 8,000 anyway. That 3.0 modem doesn't register in 3.0 mode in the upstream. It'll act like a 2.0 modem. 
And if it's acting like a two-a modem and you don't have it set to 8,000 maximum cat, you're not going to get very good upstream speed. Yeah, I never so considered that. That's, 8,000 to be safe. That's, a, that's an excellent recommendation. It's a good, uh, like a fallback, right? Just yep, in case. Yep. It's one of my just in cases. I, I do a lot of hypotheticals. Um, and the, the other setting is in the max traffic burst, the, the, the sub bullet there. So there's another solution. Uh, the SID cluster, I still recommend the SID cluster too, but I also recommend a large option max traffic burst. And I set it to usually 30 kilobytes. By doing that, it's almost like giving me an upstream power boost and it allows this CCF to actually concatenate more. So I get better per modem upstream speed. Now for- so 8,000 for, for max concat, 30,000 30, for the max traffic burst. So, so max traffic burst, that's, that's just max burst is, is what you're saying, right? So I thought yeah, 11K is what we were generally saying for max traffic burst in the upstream. At one for, time, we were saying for the max concat and max burst, we were saying set them both to 11K. Now you're saying now 30K. Now you're saying 3.0, set it to 8K on the max concat and then uh, 30K on the max burst. It's actually, if you look at the definition, I think it's called max upstream max traffic burst. Right, yes. Okay, that's now, when you say max burst, that also that might be you're thinking of the downstream one. Yeah, no, I'm there's I'm, a downstream max burst as yeah. well. Yeah. That's the one we set to like 50 megabytes to get a downstream power boost. Yes. Yeah, no, I was specifically in the upstream is I think uh previously I've been okay. doing eleven K, but now you're saying up that to thirty. Speeds are increasing that much yes. more. Okay, yep. excellent. Next slide. All right, uh, upstream bonding partial mode. Here's where we talked about, you know, individual modems are being tracked, and if their station maintenance goes down for that modem, we will take it out of this thing called STA, which is uh, a station maintenance mode. So if you do a show kill mode of verbose command, you'll see all the upstreams, and they'll have what state they are. And STA is a good state, station maintenance. But if it says DR, it's, dis it's disabled with, uh, 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 continue ranging. So DR is disabled with ranging continue. That means that if it's doing four channel upstream bonding, CMTS says you lost a lot of station maintenance on upstream two. So now you're gonna do three channel upstream bonding. I'm gonna mark, I'm gonna mark you slash P for partial mode so you can track that modem. Uh, I can see that that upstream is DR now. I also look at the MER for that upstream. And I notice it says 18 dB. I'm like, well, no wonder when DR because 18 dB is not very good. Um, instead of just relying on that station maintenance burst, we came out with another feature that said, why don't we track the per modem MER and the per modem FET counters and use that to determine when to put the modem into upstream bonding partial mode. So instead of just relying on the station maintenance burst and station maintenance working or not working, and it could be timing issues, why don't we look at the actual MER? And not only the MER reporting, but also now we can track the data burst MER. So we can look at both of them, not just the station maintenance, but the MER of the actual data. Now, if there's no data, you can't get an MER from the data burst because there's no traffic. But you'll always get a station maintenance MER unless the modem goes offline. So we came out with this other feature called the, um, um, uh, what the heck do we call it? data burst MER partial mode or something like that. It's new, but it's one command. And you see, I wrote, wrote it down, cable upstream resiliency, data burst SNR24. And these are the numbers I'm recommending. So 
MER and SNR are the same thing, so we still use the word SNR here. SNR 24 dB, uncorrectable effect 1%, correctable effect 0, so I turned it off, and hysteresis of 4 dB. So we put all these thresholds in one line so that it makes my config shorter. What I'm saying here is that if the modem goes below 24 dB, not the upstream port, but I mean, for this specific modem, if he reports lower than 24 dB MER and uncorrectable effect greater than 1%, drop him from STA to DR mode, meaning that upstream will go to partial mode. The, now, well, meaning the, up, out, the upstream he, that is having problems will will be dropped from the, the bonding group of the modem, more importantly. For him. Which, for him. Which Just for him. If that modem is having that, if that upstream, I think the critical part of this this command, which is really nice, if that upstream is having high uncorrectable fact, uncorrectable fact that's greater than one percent, that modem's going to drop that upstream because that that is, I I think wh when you have uncorrectable fact on an upstream, we've seen this a lot of times before. That's called an impaired upstream. So you can be sending traffic over that upstream. You can have one upstream that's really good, no un no uncorrectable fact, but you can have a, a second upstream on the same modem that has lots of uncorrectable fact errors on it. And, and so some of your data is going over the good upstream, some of your data is going over the bad upstream, and that bad upstream is causing poor voice quality or other issues, and, and you're out trying to troubleshoot that and that's where the problem comes in. So I, I really like this command, the fact that it's going to force yeah. an upstream to be dropped by the modem if its uncorrectable fact is bad, because sometimes that that doesn't naturally happen. Yeah, all, all we're doing is the CMTS schedules mini slots. So CMTS is like, you know what? You told me this upstream is poor, so I'm just not going to schedule you any mini slots on an upstream. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. So we allow the modem and the CMTS are still trying to do station maintenance in the background to that upstream in case it comes back. So every 15 seconds, every 30 seconds, whatever it happens to be, we're still trying to get that upstream to come back. Now to come back, we use a hysteresis so we don't have thrashing. Right. So I've said it, the default was 3 dB. I like 4 dB. So I said the SNR has to get above 28, it has to be 28 dB and higher, meaning 24 plus the 4. So that's 28 dB. That way if if my MER is 23 and I have 2% uncorrectable effect, it'll drop that, that upstream. But if the MER goes to 25, I don't want it to come back because I don't know how stable it is. I want the MER to go all the way up to 28. Right. You want to see say, a significant right, improvement. You want to see that significant improvement yes. on that upstream, which makes you feel, okay, finally, this upstream, someone fixed it or something changed in the plant that said, all right, this upstream's gotten much better. Now, now we're going to trust it for a little while again and, and see if it's better and allow traffic to flow out. I really like this command. This is an awesome command. Yeah, this was asked for years ago, and uh, I'm glad we finally implemented it, but I don't think many customers are actually using it. I, I think it's a great little feature. Yeah, um, I've I've not now, started using this yet, but I, I'm definitely going to start using it. Yeah, I mean, because this takes away the problem I had with people doing QPSK for the station maintenance burst. Because yep. I'm not going to rely on the station maintenance burst right. to determine upstream bonding partial mode. I'm going to rely on the actual thresholds I feel are legitimate thresholds. Yeah, and no, I think this is very useful. You know, what if you're just doing if you're doing 16 qualm, I would set my SNR threshold to 19, not 24. Right. 
You you understand? Mm-hmm, because absolutely. I know sixteen plumb breaks about eighteen. So yeah, this I is the, set one dB above my break point. This is your recommendations for sixty four qualm upstream, or yeah, sixty four qualm upstream. You would you would change it obviously yeah. for sixteen qualm. Correct. Correct. So the next bullet point, kind of, a lot of people don't know about this one either, and it's called the T four multiplier, and it is causing some issues, meaning. The T4 timer in the modem is 30 seconds. So a modem will redo its T4 timer every time it gets a downstream uh, station maintenance, like a keep alive. Um, the CMTS might send a station maintenance every 15 seconds, but when a modem's in upstream bonding, to limit the amount of station maintenance we send to one house, one cable modem, if he's doing four channel upstream bonding, that's four times the amount of polling. So they came out with this thing called T4 multiplier and said, well, if it's doing four channel upstream bonding, let's multiply by four. So every upstream now is getting a poll. 15 times four is every minute. So that means every upstream is only getting upstream levels, frequency, timing, and pre-equalization adjustments. That's why it's being beneficial. Pre-equalization. So, so that is creating too much time between updates in my eyes. Now, it's great that we limited the number of, of chattiness on the downstream and station maintenance, but to get updates on your pre-EQ once a minute, that's not very good in my eyes. No. You know, what if we go to eight-channel upstream bonding? There are operators bonding, doing... It's an eight-x factor. Yeah, and there are operators doing eight-channel upstream bonding. So as a compromise, I'm starting to kick around the idea of hard-setting it to two. So I have this command that I can hard set it to two instead of the default, which is zero, which means automatic, which means how many upstreams in a bonding group. That's the multiplier. So instead of relying on the upstream bonding group, I said, you know what? Let's hard set it to two. That way I know I'm getting updates every 30 seconds. Now I just probably doubled the amount of station maintenance to all these three modems, but in a whole scheme of things, I really don't think that's a problem. You know, it, these are very small packets and our upstream capacity now is huge right with downstream bonding and everything so if we were doing eight channel upstream bonding we would want that t4 multiplier can you set that to to four is that what we would do yeah 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 you can set it to four but then if you set it to four then all the modes of four channel will be set at four again anyway yeah so i'm wondering like you know even if it's doing eight channel upstream bonding should i still leave it at two does it really matter you know right like how many how many eight channel option bottom modems we have compared to four channel option bottom modems? Probably ten percent. I doubt you'll have a fifty fifty. Yep. It's something to think about, right? One of those things to ponder. Because like the previous command, we talked about the modem getting in and out of option bonding partial mode. Well, guess what? I have to wait for that T four multiplier too to get an update. Right. So to come out of partial mode. Eight channel upstream bonded modem, it could be two minutes. I, I don't see that as big of a problem because you know whether it's partial mode for thirty seconds or we have to wait an extra thirty seconds. I think I think the more critical thing is the pre-equalizer having the wait pre-equal. yeah longer times because that can have a significant impact on the um, you know waiting thirty seconds for the pre-equal update. That means thirty seconds that the subscriber could be transmitting bad data which could be 30 seconds that you have a, an impaired voice call. So that's a pretty significant, you know, 30 seconds of bad voice traffic is really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's basically you hang up and you're calling. <laughs> hang up and call again or, or <laughs> use your cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
The, the other one I wanted to point out is the very last one. These aren't on by default as well, and they should be. When a modem goes to upstream bonding partition, no. Scheduled flows do not get bonded. They get scheduled on an individual upstream. What if that upstream goes down? What if that upstream for that modem, he's doing a voice call, and that upstream goes from STA to DR, that voice flow will go down. By putting these three commands on, those scheduled flows will then be reassigned to one of the other upstreams that's still up and lower utilization. These are not on by default. So what's happening, modems go to upstream partial mode, they're dropping voice calls. Yeah, so you, you apply these with the cable upstream resiliency data burst command that you talked about, the one that I really like that drops the channel that's impaired. These are really important to have because you're going to be dropping an impaired yeah, These are channel. all complementary. Yeah, yeah. They're not very on each other. These are all complementary. They, they, they go hand in hand because you're going to be dropping the impaired channel and then you need these to move your traffic service flows from that impaired drop channel over to the good channel, right? Correct. Yeah, awesome. Very nice commands, John. Very, very nice commands. This is why I think this information needs to be disseminated now because we haven't really talked about this for like five years. You and I did a SCT Expo, I think five years ago yeah. uh, on CMTS best practices. And, but we've gone a long way. Five years in DOCSIS world. Is like <laughs> That's century. a long, long time, man. That's, I think we were talking DOCSIS 1 1 back then. <laughs> or or <laughs> 2 0, <laughs> sorry, 3 0. <laughs> yeah, we probably were. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and uh, stop us out of the, the slideshow here. Uh, we're coming up on top of the hour. We have uh, just a couple of other questions from from uh, people who wrote in. Actually, we have a lot of questions. We need to do a Q&A only session. Um, but I'm going to cover a couple ones here that are kind of relevant what we're talking about. Jerry writes in. He says, could you recommend acceptable upstream code word error ratio and uh, Correct <laughs> code word error ratio, correctable ratio, and uncorrectable ratio on a per cable modem and per upstream channel. So basically, talking about you know correctable and uncorrectable fact for modems and uh, also the aggregate of modems on upstream ratio. So you know, generally, what I tell people is on on a modem standpoint, for I I really only focus on uncorrectable. Uh, modem, per, per modem ratio. And I always say, if it gets more than 1%, your subscribers are going to notice that anytime they're using anything for real-time things, like if they're using uh, any type of services like Skype or uh, uh, your, your iPhone, FaceTime, or if they're using voice over IP, they're going to notice it. They're going to hear uh, their voice breaking up, they're going to see impairments and stuff. When when your uncorrectable code word on a per modem basis gets above 1%. So that's that's sort of my recommendation. John, I'd love to hear what you have to say on that. So to me, drop packets is my, my ultimate issue, right? Drop packets. Correctable fec, fine. I use it as a tool to see if I'm getting what I feel is close to maybe dropping packets because Normally, you would think when I get a certain percentage correctable, then eventually they turn into uncorrectable. No, you would think that. Uh, I look at MER, SNR, I look at CNR, I look at flap list. There's a lot of things we have to look at together to get a good idea of what's the visibility of what's really going on. Never just look at MER because 
What if I have impulse noise? Impulse noise, a lot of uncorrectable effect, but MER is average, so it looks fine. What if uh, a very narrow carrier of ingress, like CB? You'll see it on spectrum analyzer, so CNR is really bad, but ingress cancellation in CMTS will get rid of it, so MER is good. Once MER is good, you don't have uncorrectable effect. <laughs> so I still need the visibility of a spectrum analyzer. I still need CMTS reporting of MER and correctable and correctable effect on an upstream basis and then delve deeper into per modem. Because what if it's a modem's timing issue? You could have uncorrectable effect on an upstream that has nothing to do with the planet at all and it's one modem. Maybe that's modem's timing is off. So every time he transmits, he's colliding with other people's traffic. So in essence, his traffic looks like impulse noise to everybody else. So how do you like look at that? Now, you mentioned uncorrectable effect 1%. I, I agree, 1% is the way to go. Uh, Ron and I, Ron Heck and I, have also talked about for really decent voice and not hearing any impairments. It'd be nice to take that uh, one-tenth more, another decimal plate, place, 0.1 to 0.5%. So, um, and you think about it, 0.1% is one error out of 1,000. 1% is one out of 100. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. really sound that good when you say one error out of 100. Um, you know, technically, BER, you should be 10 to the minus 6. That's one out of a million packets. That's 0.0001%, right? Right. A 10 to the minus that's six. actually the so, DOCSIS requirement, or the, the DOCSIS specification tells you that's what you need to have to, to be operating a clean DOCSIS plant. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've all, we've all said 1% because it's an easy number. Most of the reporting from the CMTS might not do tenths of a dB anyway for percentage. So if you're under 1%, you're pretty safe. Um, so I think sticking to 1% is the easier number. Now, if we could get even deeper and say 0.1 to 0.5, I would say probably that's the way to go for voice. Um, correctable? If it's corrected, who cares? It could be cosmetically showing correctable. This is why in my dynamic modulation and my upstream bonding partial mode, I don't use correctable as a threshold because it's, inadvertently making me change when it's being corrected anyway. So I'm like, you know, let's just set correctable threshold to zero, get rid of it as a threshold, and I'll just rely on uncorrectable effect and MER together, and that will give me a better understanding of what's really going on. I won't just flag on one, I'll flag on both of them. Yeah. And, and, and by so, the way, uh, DOCSIS 3.1, go ahead. No, go ahead, continue. We go with DOCSIS 3.1. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, with DOCSIS 3.1, you and I talked about this. The new 3.1, because of the LDPC, low density parity check, and how it works, um, we found that you're just the nature of the beast, you're going to find a lot of correctable effect on the downstream for DOCSIS 3.1. So it's not something to scream the sky is falling. Uh, it's just something that you're going to see, and it's, it's expected. As long yeah. as you don't have uncorrectable effect, you're good. Yeah, it's it's part of the it's part of the way the algorithm works. That it keeps it keeps uh, iterating and iterating and iterating and fixing errors until the point where it is able to produce to you in a corrected packet. So I, I I've seen that. Yes. Um, so let's take uh, one more question here. I think ties exactly into what we were talking about. Manuel writes, I have nodes working over 40 to 42 dB in SNR in the upstream. I'm working with 16 qualm modulation on the upstream. 
have a few questions. If those nodes vary from 42 to 35 dB in SNR and the cable modems don't have any substantial flaps and the upstream MER is over 35 dB, according to my experience, I shouldn't have any problems. I think, but I don't know, some people say my SNR should be flat with no variation. Other question, which are the limits on variation in SNR as long as you don't fall below the threshold? So I think the challenge here is, Manuel, is, is really just looking at SNR in order to make decisions on, on what his upstream modulation should be. And so and I think this goes... Like, it sounds like he's more concerned with the stability of the reading. I would argue that once you're above 30 dB upstream MER, I don't care if it fluctuates to 50 down to 32. <laughs> if you're above 30, you have an awesome upstream plant. Anything above 25, 64 pumps are going to work fine. Uh, we would like to see 30 uh, to give you some headroom. The break point for 64 qualm on the upstream is about 23 dB. So giving myself 6 dB of wiggle room is 2930. Um, I found out that the chipset itself is not as precise and accurate when you get higher readings in the first place. So you could have fluctuations. We used to cap off at 36. We changed the algorithm because Broadcom said, hey, our chipset now can read as high as 42. Now I wonder, allowing that algorithm to read 42 and have that instability, is that causing like some other perception of an issue? When in reality, if it fluctuates between 36 and 42, who really cares? Uh, is the plant really breathing? Yeah, the plant's always breathing. Um, we're also looking at the station maintenance first. So maybe there's a timing issue. Maybe there's a little bit of noise. But if you're still above 35, 36, I'm not going to worry about that instability. Now, if I'm getting below 30 and I'm hanging at 25, 26, now he's only doing 16 qualms, so he's good to hell at 19 dB. He's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, he's good awesome. way down. But I, I think the more yeah, critical yeah. thing is, is what's his uncorrectable code word errors? You know, what, what are things that could be very transient impairments that may not affect SNR, upstream SNR, but could still be there that would impact the subscriber quality of experience, right? Yeah. I, I'm also wondering if he's looking at the upstream MER on a per upstream basis, I know the Cisco CMGS looks like 10 samples. Um, it could be he doesn't have a lot of modems on the upstream. He's allowing some modems to hit the CMTS at minus six and other modems hit a zero. How do we know after some of those iterations, it's grabbing a modem that's hitting at minus six with a lower MER to begin with? So the reporting of the upstream is fluctuating because the, each modem has different MER readings. You understand where I'm going? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, a lot of variables here. There's a lot of variables here. Yeah, yeah, I think in, in general for, for Manuel is, it sounds like he has a great upstream from his SNR values. I would just recommend that he go and look at some other aspects, particularly correctable, or rather, for, as, as you said, you know, you, you don't really look at correctable fact as much, but uncorrectable fact, that would be other key aspect that he really needs to look at and make sure that that's not uh, a problem for any of his modems uh, in his plant. Yeah. And if yeah, the correctable fact is really low, then he's probably really got a clean plant and he can move from 16 qualm to 64 qualm in the upstream. Yeah, I suspect he probably has baseband digital reverse to have such a good MER. He's probably a digital reverse upstream. Because yeah. if he was an analog upstream, I 
usually don't see much better in 30s on my upstream MER. Yeah. If I eventually go to remote five where the upstream chipset is in the node itself, I'm expecting closer to 40s, 45s in the upstream because you're putting the chipset right there at the node. There's no more analog link, so you don't have to worry about laser clipping. Um, so I, I expect higher modulation schemes from DOCSIS 3.1 upstream with remote five because I really feel I can get much better upstream MER readings. Good place to stop. Uh, absolutely, John. We're at the top of the hour. Any predictions on your uh, on your competition this weekend? <laughs> After my spray tan, I'll be nice and dark, <laughs> and I'll be eating lots of food. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. Have a safe trip. It was a great, uh, a great material you provided us uh, during the, the episode. I really appreciate that. Thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. Weekend. Good luck on your competition. Safe trip. Take care, John. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye, everyone.